Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, we've got our buddy George Kritikos back with us this week. Uh, George joined us last week to talk about his team building strategy when it comes to startup dynasty drafts to rookie drafts. Uh, We've got more to cover this week. Uh, George, how are you doing? Doing good. You know, I haven't done much since our last episode, but you know, I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll have some fun here. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. As, as I said, we talked draft strategy last time. Let's, let's talk about team management. So the startup draft is over. How do you go about evaluating your roster and your competition at that point? Because I feel like, I don't know, I kind of go through phases. I, for most of the draft or the auction, I love my team. And then when I see the final product, I kind of hate my team. And how, how do you keep that perspective? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I tend to do is like fill out a week one lineup and that really either makes me super happy or just terribly (laughs) depressed. You know, there seems to be no in between, right? Like that's that roller coaster of emotions. I just built this great young team and I can't start any of them. (laughs) Right, right. You realize your your third receiver is going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be Tyrell Williams or somebody and you're just like, what what happened? (laughs) I know I have... I have nine running backs that I could start, but I can only start two of them. Uh, so that's, that's like the first thing I do, because I'm just curious to see, like, what does a starting lineup here look like? And then it helps me understand, like, where my depth might be. I mean, you know, you go through the course of the draft, I think you get a pretty good idea. But I think when you really see it laid out to say, like, oh, this is what, like, if I were to just say this is my lineup, then then here's who's on the bench. And it gives you a sense of okay, what are, where are my holes? Where maybe my opportunities to kind of trade some guys if, if, if that's something I need to do. Um, and then I actually do the same thing for, for other people. I just kind of approximate like what a lineup would look like for them, see where their holes are in it. Um, you know, there's always one or two owners that will uh, kind of fish, you know, on the trade bait early on and put like half their team on there, but it's never anyone that you want. Uh, you know, it is Tyrell Williams. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, so there's always like those immediate opportunities for trades, but then the other thing, like if I'm going to trade for future picks or make it part of a deal, I kind of want to see like, who are those teams that I want to target that maybe are, you know, a little more suspect and before they realize it. Yeah, there you go. Let's talk about player age. How much does that come into account when you're value, uh, valuing players in general, whether it's trade talks or, or just players on your own roster? Um, and is there a certain age that a, a player kind of becomes off limits? You want to trade a running back before he turns whatever age or, or something, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, not not that I'm that old, I'm, I'm going to be 36, but, you know, I feel like I've been coping with my own age. And so, like, it's it's become like I'm, I'm more willing to, to give guys a break who are starting to age a little bit, you know, like back when you were 23 and you're like, oh, he's only 20, he, you know, he's only 22. And then you're like, oh, that guy's already 25. Now I'm like, oh, he's only 25. So it's not that bad. I feel like my perspective on age has changed, but... Um, you know, the, the thing I think about is Adam Harstead did a really good study a few years back on, uh, mortality rates with players and talking about how they don't just kind of gradually decline. They just kind of fall off a cliff. Um, we saw it with like David Johnson, for example, right? Just kind of fell off a cliff and we saw it with, you know, a lot of other, uh, players over the years, whether it's been running, especially running backs, but we see it with wide receivers and, and other positions too. Um, and I think outside of the elite assets, it tends to be the case where they just kind of suddenly stop producing. Um, so, 
you know, for me, uh, I'm very much a, I'd rather trade them before that happens than after. Uh, so I'm willing to kind of give up a year or two of production if it means that I cash out, um, you know, with, with those guys. Uh, so, you know, I, I know Kevin talked about, you know, his 401k strategy and having like a certain percentage that he's willing to, um, to age out with. And I think that's okay. Um, I think especially if, the trade value doesn't match what their production could be for your fantasy team, especially if you're a contender, definitely hold on to them. Um, but in those instances where I can, you know, potentially turn that around and, and, you know, Sean and, and Kevin both kind of talked about, you know, getting those multiple assets for like a DJ Moore or um, Michael Thomas, I know got mentioned a few times. Um, I'm willing to do that too. So like, it's, it's, it's almost like less of an age thing and more of like uh, how, how long am I willing to wait uh, and, and kind of roll the dice before I want to say, okay, it's time to, to cash out because I think things are about to get worse. There's an owner that I, is in one of the leagues that is always super competitive. And not long ago, I went back and looked at all his transactions. And it's very repetitive. He's very disciplined about when a running back gets to be about 25, 26. Boom, they're gone. Even if it seems like they're the best player in the league. Or a receiver gets to their prime age. Boom, they're gone. And he trades them for two first-round picks and then takes the next guy at it and just keeps replenishing it very disciplined. And I looked at it and was like, wow, this is really impressive. And he continues to be right in the hunt year after year after year. Yeah, I wonder if yeah, you made me think of, you know, a lot a lot fewer running backs are getting that second contract now. Is that something we need to really start thinking about? Like, is that that kind of trigger point of, you know, let's just move on from anyone who's kind of hitting that, that contract year. So like Dalvin cook, you guys talked about, right. Um, in a previous episode and he's going to be coming up on a contract. I don't know. I feel like he's probably going to get re-signed, but we've seen what's happened recently with some of these guys. Is it the time to cash out? Like, is that, is that the type of discipline we need to start taking? I'm not sure. This is me kind of musing more than anything, but it seems like, like that may be, um, one of those kind of inflection points where we, uh, have to really take stock of that player, even if they're playing at the level that Dalvin Cook or did McCaffrey last year. Or, I mean, the big dogs, right? Yeah. yeah or McCa- well, McCaffrey signed an extension, so at least you feel right. a little better. Um, but, but to your point, like Alvin Kamara hasn't gotten anything Makes yet, sense. and right. um, Dalvin Cook hasn't gotten anything yet. So, um, should we be a little worried about those guys? It, yeah, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, it's that class of 2017 running backs, and mm-hmm. you mentioned most of the names there already, George, but. I've been thinking a lot about that group because it is tough to sell them right now. Not not that it's uh, difficult to find a market for them, but it's actually, you know, to say you're going to sell Mixon or, or McCaffrey or Cook or Kamara, that doesn't seem like a winning strategy because those guys are all so productive. And I just wonder if there are some differences between those players and some of the running backs that we're basing this data on. I mean... Uh, you know, even even Todd Gurley and, and David Johnson in this group that came kind of before them, you, you know, that group, that 2017 group is so young. I mean, I think uh, they're, they're, for the most part, they're still 20, 23, 24 years old, right? right. They, they came into the league young. So to get out of that 23, 24-year-old running back before it's too late kind of sounds crazy even if he is going on his second contract. And, and r- real quick, Ryan, just to take it a step further from that class, just think if you would have st- – like the guys that aren't as big a name, like James Conner and especially Marlon Mack, 
think about how much more you'd have got for them one year ago than now. For sure, but I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think Connor and Mac and um, you know, there's probably others in that tier. I don't think those are in the same category. As, no, they're not. They're not as Cook. I I guess what I'm trying to say is, are Cook and Mixon and McCaffrey and Kamara, um, are they going to break that trend of? sell them before their second contract or or their production's going to dip after their second contract. Well, we know that McCaffrey got his second right. contract, so at least we know he's safe. Um and and I I I do think some of them are going to get their deals and and you know, outside of Dalvin Cook, we haven't heard any rumblings about holdouts or anything like that and even his seemed like it was pretty muted. It wasn't like Melvin Gordon's or um Left Bells or anything like that. Um, so, so yeah, it's interesting, but it's definitely something that we should be looking at the next couple of years and see what that turns into, because we've seen a couple of strong running back classes come in, um, you know, 20, the 2021 class, not nearly as not looking nearly as strong as 2020, but, um, but I think, you know, teams are also starting to get a little, you know, looking at it a little differently than they were before. You know, not everyone's going to get the Ezekiel Elliott, or or McCaffrey contract and even half the ones that have gotten it like David Johnson and Todd Gurley <laughs> you know it's been a little weird you know albeit injuries and things so it's at least something that we need to start thinking about that goes you know hand in hand with age to an extent right it's that experience thing and and how that I plays wonder though it. if it would be a winning formula if you draft a running back in your rookie draft and you say I am only keeping him for at most three years after that third year, his contract's still a year away. Some people aren't even thinking about that yet. I'm dealing him. And sometimes you'd lose. You'd, lo- you'd, you'd have missed McCaffrey's yeah. year last year. But I bet you win more than you lose. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I re- when, I, when I read the question, I remember thinking I did a trade years ago um, that was Antonio Gates, and he was about 31 at the time. And I traded him for the 110, which turned into Michael Floyd from Arizona. And I thought, oh, man, I'm totally going to win this trade. You know, he's already in his 30s. And, you know, Michael Floyd had that one good year. and But Antonio Gates lasted like five more years than he did in the NFL. So, you know, you're going to lose some of those. But I don't think the the strategy was unsound necessarily. I had, you know, other options in, in my tight end pool and everything. So You should have done a background check on Malcolm Floyd is the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I got Justin Blackman in that same draft, so I really need to work on yeah, my character your, your concerns. Your PIs aren't doing their job behind the scenes. <laughs> no, no, clearly not. <laughs> George, let's let's shift to trade talks, and you know, if there's if there's anything better than drafting, it's trading in dynasty leagues. What's your overall process for identifying trade targets? Yeah, I mean, I'll admit, like this this was a weak point for me early on in dynasty. I mean, you, you come from redraft leagues and that's just not as prevalent of a, of a factor. So it's, it's new territory for a lot of new dynasty owners. So, you know, myself included, my first dynasty league, I think was about 12 years ago now. Um, you know, we didn't trade a lot. It was pretty quiet, right? Everyone just thought, Oh, it's basically like a keeper league and you just keep your players. And, you know, so there wasn't a ton of strategy, um, but you know, over the years it's, you know, the, the amount of activity makes a huge difference. You know, I think Matt was talking about this in another episode, like you're not necessarily looking to win every trade and you're not looking to double or triple your money on every trade. It's, it's really about the aggregate, right? You're just trying to, to come out ahead at the end of the day. And even if you lose a few, that's okay. Because as long as you're continuing to be active and you win more than you lose and you, you gain a little more than you lose and, um, you know, you continue that that churn, I mean, 
as long as you're doing sound player analysis, as long as you're understanding your league and uh, everything else, uh, you're going to come out ahead. I mean, if you can turn 99 cents into a dollar six out of 10 times, that's enough. Right. I mean, it's something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and you do that over and over, you know, yeah. tens of times over a couple of years and, and suddenly you're starting to make real money. Um, you know, and as far as like specific trade targets, you know, uh, another thing Adam Harstead and I've talked about in the past was, was injury discounts and how people just really plummet value for players on injuries, even ones that aren't as serious as, as, you know, they kind of get made out to be within kind of dynasty value. So, you know, we've seen it in the past and obviously there are exceptions, but like Debo, Debo Samuel right now is an interesting one. You know, how much is he falling because of this Jones fracture that seems like it's no more than a two to three month issue and could potentially be back for week one. You know, so like those kind of guys, um, you know, I tend to uh, look for kind of those unproven players. I'm willing to, to gamble on those, you know, and, and even if I have to, to, you know, pay up a similar price to where they went a year ago as a rookie, that's okay because I don't have to roster them for that unproductive season. You know, the, the other owner ate that cost. And I if I told you Debo was going to catch 100 balls in 2021, you might be like, yeah, that makes perfect right. sense. Yeah, right. totally. You know? And, and, you know, the, you guys talked about Michael Hardman before and, you know, his, his season generally speaking was, you know, pretty quiet. Um, but I think most people would say, okay, I'll pay, you know, that late first that probably most owners, you know, used to get him a year ago in order to get him now. I think there are very few people who wouldn't and probably would pay a little more. Um, and the trade-off for that is not having to roster him for a year and using that roster spot on someone else. Right, and you know he's good at football at the NFL level. Like, he's passed the first test, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. George, playing in multiple leagues, would you say you're likely to target the same player in trade, or are you making multiple offers uh, across every league for Miko Hardman or, or whoever your target might be, or is it really more based on team structure in that league yeah i mean i think i probably like i know you know let's use the the dalvin cook you know madison example right like every madison owner was probably spamming the dalvin cook owner in every league you know and and everything like that And i think i own dalvin cook in like three or four leagues so i i definitely was the recipient of a lot of those um but no i mean i i generally don't um you know, target one guy across all my leagues. Cause I think I play in so many different styles of leagues, you know, super flex one QB contract, um, you know, start three quarterback, you know, bonus yards for this, you know, whatever that their values change enough that, um, that I don't also, I mean, I think it's hard to assume that in every single league you play in the guy who owns Debo Samuel, let's say is willing to even trade him. you know? So, um, you know, I try to not only think of the structure of my own team, but the structure of the team that, that I'm trading with. And if Debo Samuel's their best receiver and it's a pretty steep drop off, unless I have the depth at wide receiver to entice him, you know, through kind of filling some gaps, I'm probably not going to even, you know, raise an eyebrow for him. Do you guys believe in diversification though? You know, like I know, thank God I don't handle my, the Williamson family finances, but I understand that, you know, that, that lowers risk and all that. But in Dynasty, if I find someone I like, like I really like Johnu Smith, I want him in every league, and I, you know, I mean, I'm, and if he gets hurt and falls on the steps, well, then I lose, you know. I mean, I, I don't care about diversification. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think there's very many Dynasty players that play enough leagues that that having that diversification the way that like DFS mm-hmm. players and and best ball players do 
Like it's it's not quite the same thing. Like I don't know anyone who plays you know two or three hundred ah, <laughs> you know right, dynasty right. leagues. <laughs> so I mean I think um, our buddy FF Ghost was up to like fifty or sixty at one point. That's probably the most I've heard of anybody. And and even then, like I think he probably had a ton of copies of of certain guys. I don't think he was probably so worried about the first. You're never like, boy, I already have a lot of shares of that guy, and I'm I'm good. No, I'd like to I'm think that that just means that I, I I really like the guy, and and you know I I probably have a higher opinion than most, and and hopefully it means that I'm 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 smart in that case. I don't know if that's actually true, but, but then you bet on yourself, and that's what it's all about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to again pivot off someone because I already own them somewhere else. George, what's your process for initiating trades? Uh, do you feel like you've had more success just sending cold offers or reaching out uh, to that owner, you know, in some way, whether it's text, email, DM, whatever it might be? I kind of do both. Because, yeah. like, either you're going to cold offer or you're going to cold call. And they both sound kind of weird. So I feel like if I do them together, maybe it's a little warmer, um, especially if it's an owner that I don't know as well. Um, so like, I'll send like a couple offers, just say like, Hey, you know, just trying a few trades out here, you know, want to see, maybe you're interested in some of these guys and let's kind of structure something, you know, here are the ones I'm interested in. And, you know, like I want to get the creative juices flowing. And I think, um, giving some possibilities helps with that. And then also having the conversation does too, because I mean, if we're being honest, like most dynasty leagues, you know, people are just going to hit the reject button and they're not going to counter or anything because reject is a lot easier than trying to build a trade back. Um, so being able to do both, I think, just, uh, you know, gives it gives it more life to it. Do you guys both agree, and so many people make this mistake, that the worst way to initiate trades is I'm going to go to my trade bait. I'm going to click the box on... Ryan Switzer, the other three guys on my league that I'm about to cut that stink, that nobody in the world wants, and the whole league's going to get a group email, and boom, I'm sure I'll get offers left and right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a passive way to it approach it. I mean, it's, yeah, no, it never works. It'd be like, uh, you know, you're, you're interested in, um, you know, finding a, finding a significant other, and you just say, well, I'm just going to dress really nice, but I'm not going to talk to anybody, and I'm just going to, like, stand in the corner. Like, I don't know anyone who that works for, and the few people that it does, it's the really good-looking ones, so you need to... It would actually be like, here's my worst outfit. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You're not you're not wearing your pajama pants and then not talking to anyone. You're gonna dress up and wear a suit. Walking around in a speedo. Right, right, right. Ain't gonna work. I mean, it's not gonna work for me at least. I mean, maybe someone else. I think the other Matt. What I thought you were gonna say is, you know, this this guy is on the block. You know, Austin Eckler is is on the block. What will you give me for him? Make make me an offer. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, and people I mean, are just going to bang down your door. Left and I right. try, you know. I think I think our buddy Brian Malone um, tried the the you know here you know one week and Gronk is on the block and I'll oh, take yeah. the best offer no matter what it is, you know. And I tried that in a league <laughs> and it was like the worst experience I ever had because it was like a very inactive league. So I thought, oh, this will spark interest, and I got like two just horrible trades and then like the day before I was like, all right, I'm going to have to be the one that initiates these trades so I can get you know, be a man of my word, but also actually trade them for something worthwhile. So I had to hunt out the trade. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've seen, you know, I've seen Brian do that. I've seen Russ Fisher do that and, and a few others. Um, and it seems like it usually works well, but 
uh, you're right. If if you're in a league that's maybe not so active, uh, you might be in trouble. You might get a deal that you don't really like. <laughs> right. The one method I think can kind of work, though, is when you use that trade bait you know, tool, put one guy that people do like on it. Okay, I'm shopping Michael Thomas. Okay, you might get two emails back. You know, and if you're not going to be super proactive, and all you got to do is you know, want, spend 30 seconds of your life, put one name for them to look at as opposed to, boy, I'm going to open this email and uh, there's junk left and right. I'm delete. I'm done. You know? Yeah, and, and, you know, at least a serious offer will open a discussion. Like if people are just throwing junk at you, then there's no use in going further. But if someone at least is... is giving a reasonable effort, then at least you can go back and say, hey, this might not be the person I'm interested in, but I see you also have this person on your team, and at least that sparks a conversation. Again, it's like the creative juices, you know. It's it's just finding that way to, to get people excited. How do you go about finding your those best trade partners, those ideal trade partners in a league? Uh, because obviously and unfortunately, you know, not everybody is easy to trade with. Um, so what's your method for finding – uh, those those folks that you can go back to and uh, you know time and time again and, and hammer out a deal with. Yeah, I mean, I I like to think that I have pretty good luck with with a lot of people. I mean, I, I try to you know be a best faith kind of offer type person. You know, not come in too you know too low because I think that just you know again you want to start the conversation. You can always add things to a deal later. You know, you, but you got to give them something to work with. Um, you know, so I try to find the owners who are active, whether that's even through the waiver wire and stuff, cause that means they care about their team. You know, it's the guy who's like, hasn't logged in in four months. You're certainly not getting a trade done with that person, yeah. you know? So, so like anyone who's active, you know, the one who maybe trash talks during the season, like those people care and, and really want to win the league. So to me, like those are going to be the best trade partners. Um, even if they don't necessarily have like the best trade sense, at least, you know, they're going to respond and they're going to um, give you the opportunity to trade, which I think is kind of half the battle. I'm in one league, it's 12 team league. And there's two of us far and away are the, are the most active. And I'm not sure who number three is, but we just swap players back and forth all the time. It seems like, you know, I mean, just, it's almost like we're bored. I'm going to throw out, I wonder what he's got on his roster or you hope he takes someone in the rookie draft that you like, because ah, now I got a chance to get him in six months. Yeah, my main home league has has myself and one other guy who are like that, very active. Um, and and we get labeled as like, oh, no one should trade with them because they're always trading. It's like, no, that's not a bad thing. Like, you need to do that. Like, that's part of the process. Right. It's churn. You know, you want to have that. Um, so it's just kind of funny to me that in certain leagues, like, it can even be a stigma of of trading too much. Like, oh, you don't like anyone. I like everyone, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> at the right price. Yeah, at the right price. Yeah. Uh, George, talk a little bit about selling high, buying low. How do you, how do you feel like you use, I guess, the market perception when you're making deals? Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about excitement and everything. I mean, people who are, um, you know, coming off good seasons, people who have name value. I mean, those are going to be people that everyone's excited about, right? So, so selling like that that tends to spark a better discussion, and then it ties into buying low, right? Like I can use a DeAndre Hopkins, or I can use a, a Devontae Adams or an Aaron Rodgers, depending on what kind of league I'm in, to like at least get someone excited. So when I'm targeting those buy lows, I can use someone like that as opposed to, you know, someone who, you know, like, like honestly, I've, I've noticed with certain guys, if they don't have 
you know, like, like Mikal Hardman, right, has, has some hype behind him, but Paris Campbell doesn't, right? So, like, Paris Campbell's not going to spark people, but you could argue his upside isn't that much worse than, uh, you know, someone like Mikal Hardman, at least in terms of making a year one to year two jump. It might not be the same production, but, but similar jumps relative to their value. Um, so, you know, having kind of those exciting players, you know, are, are, are kind of the um, catalyst for a lot of the deals that I do. I think that helps a lot more than um, even future picks, right? Like some people love picks, but I think, you know, there's a good number of people who are more interested in, you know, I want to have DeAndre Hopkins on my team. I want to have, you know, George Kittle on my team. I don't have him on any of my teams, right? That diversification thing. I don't have George Kittle on any of my teams. I want him on one of my teams. So, you know, someone might get excited to trade for that person. I'm definitely a futures pick kind of guy, but there's leagues that you know you're just going to sit on them until that rookie draft, right. though, too. Right. You better know your league. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I have a league where they love draft picks. So I basically never use them because I trade them off because they always get overvalued. Yeah. And then in another league, they don't really care about draft picks that much. So I end up getting a lot more than I would expect because it's more of a redraft crowd that I play with in that league. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's all about knowing who you're you're dealing with, and I think that's where you can kind of spark those um, you know opportunities, whether it's selling high or or, or buying low, right? Because I can buy a a pick low, you know, it's it can still be a first rounder, but I'm buying it low because people don't value it as much. Yeah, going back to something you said, George, I think I've always said that anytime a player is in the news, um, even if it's something that's a negative thing, you know, an, an injury or an arrest or something like that. I think any of those, anytime a player's in the news, I think it opens a buying or selling window, you know, a trading window related to that player, because you're going to have um, another owner in your league that wants to buy low. Uh, so if you have that player, you know, worst case scenario, you can dump them on that guy. Right. Or, um, same thing if a player gets a new contract or gets traded and, and it looks like a better situation, you'll have that that person in your league that's always kind of chasing the Roto World headlines and, and will be willing to overpay for that player. Um, so I, I've kind of always thought that, that even if it's negative news, it's it's like any news is good news when it comes to a trade market. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole 30 for 30 on Josh Gordon's dynasty value, you know. <laughs> It's it's been a wild ride, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Cam Newton. Oh yeah. man. Make, oh, yeah. Drop him right now. Yeah. People are interested. George, uh, before we move on from trade talks, any other uh, general trade tips for negotiating trades? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked a lot about being active and everything. I think the the other piece that goes hand in hand with that is kind of the short-term memory like don't think about what you traded for to get them. Don't think about, you know, I won this trade. I lost that trade. I mean, it's good to kind of go back and, you know, kind of learn from it. But at the same time, I don't think you should harp on it uh, too much because it can skew, you know, your opportunities in the future to, to trade for or trade, you know, that person off. I think it's really important to, you know, be like kind of agnostic, like don't fall in love with anyone, you know, no kissing, just, you know, keep it strictly business. <laughs> Folks, do you think you're smarter than an NFL GM? Do you think you're the very best at fantasy football? Well, here's a chance to prove it. Dynasty Owner is the only patented fantasy sports game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. You manage your team from all levels. Owner to to general manager to coach 
Dynasty Owner is for the smart and elite fantasy football player. There's no offseason at Dynasty Owner. The rookie draft matters. Free agency matters. And every contract matters. Come to a startup draft in 2020 using actual NFL player contracts and salaries. Then improve your team each year with a three-round rookie draft and by trading players and draft picks. Win weekly prizes, seasonal prizes, and compete in the chase for the ring. The mobile app is in development and will be ready to download soon for iOS and Android. And mock drafts are open now on desktop and mobile browsers. So learn more and mock draft for free. Go to www.dynastyowner.com. George, let's move into the kind of the regular season phase of the year. Uh, We know that once week one kicks off, player value changes very quickly as as our mindsets kind of change. Uh, so we we talked about it earlier with once you have to start submitting that lineup, you realize kind of how how good a shape you're in or, or maybe how uh, how how rough your team might be. So I guess how do you um, how do you address those needs? when you're in a tough spot and, and you've got that contending team. Uh, but, but you know, player value is changing. So are you chasing those veterans who might not have value in the offseason, or how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, ideally, right, you want to exercise your other options like the waiver wire and things like that, and, and that works in shallow leagues like we talked about. But certainly when we start getting into 30-plus, 35-plus roster spot type leagues, there's not really much left. You know, you're lucky to get a Jeff Swaim to, to cover you for a week at tight end or something yeah. like that, right? And even then, you're maybe getting two catches for 12 yards and three points are better than nothing. But, you know, but if you start getting into, like, the multi-weeks and you get into, you know, you're, you're competing for that playoff spot, I mean, uh, you know, I try to go after, you know, see what the lower teams are thinking. You know, are they – you know, completely punting on the season? Are they just looking to, you know, get like a fourth rounder for Deshaun Jackson or something that I can, you know, plug and play for a few weeks or uh, something like that? I mean, I try to like work my way up the ladder and if, and in worst case scenario, yeah, I'll be a little aggressive if I think I can really um, take down the league. I know in, in Kitchen Sink 3, I was doing well, you know, in the middle of the year and then um, I had a hole or two in the lineup, and so I went after Le'Veon Bell, and I went after Mark Ingram to try to, you know, shore up some spots and, um, you know, make my push for the championship. And it didn't quite work out, but you know, I have both guys back, and you know, I feel like I can still, you know, and it didn't decimate my future. You know, I traded off kind of some some lower level assets and you know some some rookie cash in order to. Uh, make those moves, but I didn't feel like it was anything that was going to kind of ruin my long-term or even short-term plan. Yeah, so I think a huge part of that, a huge part of what you said is collecting those tradable assets, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's young prospects, whether it's uh, future picks, whatever it might be, if you're stockpiling uh, those assets that are going to have value to, to basically every other team in the league, then you'll always be able to get those types of deals done. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll still have some of those assets left for yourself as well. Yep. George, you mentioned the waiver wire. Let's talk about that. How, how are you identifying waiver wire targets? Are you, are you kind of chasing on a week-to-week basis? Or are you thinking more long-term uh, in those moves? 
Yeah, I mean, in a in a shallower league, you know, you can find those immediate contributors, and like in the you know early to mid parts of the season, that's what I do. Um, and then and then if at the end of the year I kind of know like am I going to be in the playoffs, then I might continue that trend. If I'm not, I'll purge about twenty five percent of my roster in like my twenty four player league. And go grab maybe some rookies that people gave up on that they had to to cut. You know, other young guys. You know, Damian Harris was cut in that league before the season ended, so I grabbed him off the waiver wire. You know, it's a, a start three quarterback league, so I grabbed some you know backup quarterbacks, and I said, oh, you know, maybe you know situation arises where they become a starter. You know, like a Nick Foles did uh, this off season. You know, guys like that. Um, so I'll do that, those type of things with deeper leagues. It's a little harder, right? You, you can trim the end of that bench. You can try to, again, get some young guys that you think, you know, free agency might impact, um, you know, that maybe the team is going to focus on other things in the rookie draft, but that's thinking pretty far ahead. Um, but you can do a little bit of that, I think. And, uh, and it can be helpful. Um, but in deeper leagues, I mean, it's hard to look for immediate contributors. So you kind of have to play that game of like your last, you know, 10 to 20% of your roster is pretty fungible and you can um, swap those in and out as you see fit. I, I bet you two aren't in this boat, but I bet some of our listeners are like me and are not proud of themselves with how they handle the waiver wire. Like, I really should put in triple the time I do seeing what's actually out there or remembering who got cut two weeks ago or writing it down or keeping a list. I too often, like, speed through my leagues and be like, who scored the most points the last couple of weeks? Uh, I'll put an offer in for. Yeah, I do a lot of that too, admittedly. And like I, Kevin, I think talked about, you know, he's he's pretty strapped for time, so certain things kind of fall through the cracks a little bit. And I think yeah, the waiver wire is an easy one to fall through the cracks. I totally think that's the case. Um, so I like I try to, uh, you know, find certain like touch points during the season to kind of dig a little deeper in the waiver wire, and then the rest of the weeks I'm a little more willing to just see who got cut that week and see who scores a lot that week. And that's probably as far as I'll go. And then like every three or four weeks, I'll kind of dive a little deeper and say, okay, did I miss somebody? Is there maybe an, uh, or like did someone's situation change that I, you know, that's still hanging around out there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that, that and trades like were two areas where, you know, it took a while for me to understand like the differences with dynasty and, and redraft. Well, and that goes back to your, some of your league settings as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I've got, I've got kind of a group of leagues that are uh, 30 man rosters plus a taxi squad. I know I don't have to spend too much time on those right. waiver wire on that waiver wire work. There's just not going to be much out there. Uh, so a, a quick look is, is really all it takes to decide if I want to um, make a bid on someone in, in waivers uh, where, my roster, my leagues with smaller rosters, that that requires a, a little more time, a yeah. little more effort. Yeah, for sure. Especially if if your starting requirements get more rigid too. You know, if you don't have all those flex spots in the starting lineup, you have to start three wide receivers. You have to start, you know, two tight ends or whatever it might be. Then you kind of have to spend a little more time too because injuries are are much harder to recover from because you don't have the flexibility to put a running back in for a wide receiver who got hurt because you have to start another wide receiver. So those shallow leagues can be a little challenging that way, especially if they're rigid lineups on top of it. George, let's go back to the um, kind of the team analysis uh, perspective. And, and you told us last time that uh, that's that's basically your what your career is. So you're when you're analyzing your own team, how do you know when it's time 
to really make that leap and and, and rebuild a roster. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you start to kind of see the cracks like when you know, even before your team really starts losing, you kind of notice the cracks when you see you have a lot of older guys in your lineup, your your depth is kind of lacking on bye weeks. You can kind of there's some signs that you can start to see even if you have a good season. You know, you can really start to see where um where there may be those opportunities. So hopefully you can catch it before it's like a full rebuild. Um, and that's why I said, you know, I took over an orphan and it, you know, it made the playoffs. It had won the title a couple of years ago. Um, but I traded off Deandre Hopkins because it literally had no other wide receivers that, that were even startable. I think Deontay Johnson was the next best wide receiver. Um, so it's a pretty big fall, uh, from one to two. So, you know, it, like I saw the cracks kind of starting to form with that team, you know, Chris Carson was there. I wasn't a big fan of that. You know, that it was very running back heavy, but you could start two plus a flex. So like six running backs doesn't really help me. Um, so like when I notice that, that those things are starting to happen, hopefully I can try to turn it around before it gets a little too desperate. But, you know, sometimes things fall apart. I mean, I, I'm in a league where I won the title three years ago. And my team is the second worst in the league last year because, you know, Antonio Brown went crazy and Cam Newton got hurt and, you know, AJ Green got hurt and all these other guys just started falling apart at the same time. And then I said, okay, I need to completely wipe the slate and I need to to really, you know, take it to task. So sometimes you catch it. But you should have done it a year before. Right, exactly. Yeah, I should have caught it a year sooner, honestly, because I should have noticed that, you know, my depth wasn't there, that, you know, I wasn't prepared for injuries and you'd have got a lot more in return for it. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Yeah. Now right, Antonio right. Brown still sits on my roster, unfortunately. I did trade off uh, A.J. Green before he got hurt last year. So at least I got, you know, some of that back in the offseason last year. But, um, yeah, you know, sometimes you just have to to rip the Band-Aid, even if it seems like you're you're not, you know, like you're, you're not bleeding, so to speak. Yeah. If I'm torn if I should blow it up or not, I probably – would have more money if I went the other way, but when in doubt, I blow it up. Yeah. First of all, because I think it's fun, <laughs> and secondly, I think it's because, like what you said, like I don't want to be stuck with all these old assets that, yeah, I can check the box on them on game day, but I can't get anything for them. Right, and and like the difference between turning it around in one off season and turning it around in two or three years because you've lost a ton of value across the board. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have both been through it. Like you take over, whether it's an orphan or, or even like your own team and, and you suddenly realize like you're just, uh, you have a complete lemon of a team overnight. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's pretty demoralizing. Like the first thing you think is like, oh, do I want to even be in this league anymore? <laughs> right. Like, that's what it, Why did I do this? Don't madness, quit leagues yeah. for the record. Don't quit leagues. <laughs> right. It's not the right answer. Not the right yeah, answer. Well, you know, it's it's like so many other things. If you think you might need to rebuild, you probably need to rebuild. Right. <laughs> uh, George, let's let's fast forward to the end of the fantasy season. The the season's over. What does uh, what does your evaluation process look like at that point? Are you are you are you starting to, you know, make moves early? Or are you kind of taking some time off? What's what's going on? I try to use like the NFL playoffs to kind of start to take a little stock because, you know, your, your league is over at that point for the most part. I don't really play too many playoff type leagues, um, any of those like elimination playoff type leagues or anything. So uh, I have a little time there. So I try to like really take an understanding of the NFL landscape first, even before I tackle my own team to say, who are the free agents out there? 
um, you know, who declined in production, who broke out and, and kind of dig into some of that stuff first, just even from a high level, just to say like, okay, you know, is there any chance that this guy gets re-signed with this team and is that a good or bad thing? You know, how many teams is he on of mine? You know, like some of those simple questions that you can start asking yourself, um, I think can be helpful because then when you really do start to jump back into it, um, you'll feel a little more prepared. And it's the same thing with like, um, you know, rookies or, or any of that other stuff, right? Like I, I, I try to take stock of the football landscape before I take stock of like my dynasty roster landscape. Then I go into that and hopefully it's been a good year. It might not be though. Yeah. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not always. Yeah. Just, not always. Um, so at, at that early point in the off season, uh, besides kind of taking stock of how your teams did what what else is going on are you are you starting to look at the incoming rookie class um uh preparing for rookie drafts what what does that look like for you yeah i I like to dive in pretty quick i like to try to make initial impressions before i really start reading other people's things um even again at a high level right Uh, you know during the the nfl playoffs you know the season the 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 college football season basically just ended. Um, you know, so, so you kind of miss like some of that overlap, which would be ideal, but, but you know, you don't have that. Um, but you still have like a couple weeks to be able to kind of look at some guys and, and, um, you know, then you get the, the early entry declares that come in mid to end January. So you have some opportunity to kind of at least get familiar with some names and obviously all the senior bowls and other things like that. And not that everyone has the time to do such things, but, um, even just getting to know the names, I think is helpful because then when you start hearing them going forward, you can say, oh yeah, that's the wide receiver from Oregon. And, you know, um, he had a pretty good year or this is the you know wide receiver from Alabama and he struggled to get on the field, but for some reason he's a first round pick or whatever it is. Right. Um, you know, not that I'm, not that I'm calling people out, but, uh, yeah, so I try to get like early initial impressions and then, and then I leverage like the, the Daniel Jeremiah's and, um, you know, the Mel Kuyper's, you know, of, of like the more the NFL draft world and then combine that with some of the fantasy, um, people like the Graham Barfields and Matt Harmon's and all those people really love to dig in deep because I love all that stuff. Um, so I like to go in without bias, uh, you know, to my own analysis. And then I like to come in with bias to everyone else's basically, <laughs> And and it's and, crazy not to listen to the great people out there. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. So much good and, information. Right. And if you're open minded, like it's it's good to be able to say, Well, why did I like them? And then if they're you know, if, if you see like they're saying something different, at least you can go back and say, Okay, well, was I looking at that the right way? So then the next time you do it, you at least feel a little more confident that like, Oh yeah, maybe this this you know, this makes sense or oh, you know what, actually I, I still don't agree with, with Daniel Jeremiah, which generally is not a good idea, but you know, once in a while you can do that. It's okay. Um, (laughs) but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I tend to do. And then, and then I also look at like NFL rosters and get a sense of like where the free agent holes, like where are those big opportunities? Like we saw with like Casey running back this offseason. like we all knew that was a big hole and we were just waiting to see who that person was going to be. So at least that way you can say like, okay, I know this is going to be a prime spot. So whoever's going to land there, I really need to keep on my radar. George, really good stuff from you. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, you you gave us two episodes worth of, of awesome team-building tips for Dynasty Leagues. Uh, thank you again, and, and tell our listeners once again where they can find you and your work. 
Yeah, uh, you can find all my work at 4 for 4. You can find my uh, social media presence at Rotohack um, on Twitter. And then uh, that's that's basically it. I'm not I'm not super excited. I don't have a TikTok account or Snapchat. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna on. be honest. I don't I don't even really know what either one is. Um, I don't either. I, I've kind of gotten like like when a you know you hit a certain age and you start saying all oh, the music is terrible. I feel that way about social media now. All the social media is terrible beyond what I was exposed to. Check. You did say you're 36. 36. Right? You're yeah, like, I'm not that old. Way over the hill. No, right, yeah, but right, right. but I mean, the neighborhood I live in, the average age is like 50. So I feel like I'm just aging because of everyone around me. <laughs> Trending up quickly. Aging through osmosis. Yeah. <laughs> All right, George. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>